We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society. Today we'll be having a conversation with a colleague and friend, Dr. Priscilla Hobbs, who is a cultural mythologist and an expert on all things Disney. And we'll be talking about the recent battle between Ron DeSantis and the Disney Corporation. And I think you're going to find this to be a very interesting conversation. So let's listen in. All right. So today we're talking with Dr. Priscilla Hobbs, who is a neo-mythologist and is an expert on Disney. And uh, Dr. Hobbs is uh, going to be talking to us about the feud, the current feud between the the governor of, of Florida and the Disney Corporation. And uh, so, Priscilla, what do you what do you see this as? I mean, is this a big nothing burger? Oh, it's definitely a something burger. Um, but I think it's it's going to become a much bigger conversation that's going to set precedents both within. Um, Florida, but also potentially in the broader national conversation, depending on how um, presidential elections shake out over the next couple election cycles. So to understand the feud, I I definitely want to kind of go through the timeline of like where all of this started. Absolutely. So feud itself begins when Florida releases a bill, a state legislation that has become known as Don't Say Gay. And the idea of don't say gay is that in the schools, you don't teach curriculum around gender spectrum or anything that could allude to gender spectrum. (laughs) Then CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek, reaches out to Ron DeSantis and says, I don't think that's a good idea. Disney does, does not support this. Now, one of the things to know about Disney is that they have historically over the last 20, 30 years, become incredibly supportive of the LGBTQIA plus community. This started with grassroots organizations staging gay days in the parks where they would come en masse. And then Disney being the corporate machine that it is, it's like, hey, you know, maybe we should embrace this. And they really leaned into it over the last several years or so where now they they actually have a designated Pride Month. They have Pride products. They're more outwardly supporting their cast and crew who are members of the LGBTQIA plus community. So you push back on DeSantis about this. You know, is, is Disney saying, hey, we recognize who our employees are in your state and we want to show solidarity and support to our employees. And so... I don't think that this is a good idea. This is not setting up the Disney environment that we want our folks to have to live through. So DeSantis, in all of his wisdom, comes back and... You you say that while, while kind of laughing. I know. I know. That's I'm using it as a, a very loaded degree of sarcasm, you know. <laughs> comes back and targets Disney for their Reedy Creek Improvement District. So back in the 60s, when... Walt Disney was in the early planning stages for Walt Disney World. He worked with a bunch of realtors to essentially buy up huge plots of land within this area right outside of Orlando around the Reedy Creek District. Part of this was to get the land cheaply. But then as they were going into the process of building Walt Disney World, they they worked with the local government to essentially gain utility over this area. So in many ways... Disney has been operating Walt Disney World as its own utility district, and it's paying all of its taxes and stuff accordingly, and then some. But DeSantis said, well, if you're not going to support my 
ideologies. I'm going to take away the one place that you have any ground to stand on, quite literally. And he took away the Reedy Creek District. Along the way, there were some nice and lovely swarmy back-channel conversations that Disney did not have representation to essentially push back. You know, these were being done in secret. So now that's like some sort of theme park district that Ron DeSantis himself is leading. So Disney is rightly so pushing back. Um, there is a lawsuit around basically a governor pushing his agenda up against the power of a corporation. And so there is, I think, a lot that's being seeded here around where do we stand with corporations going forward? Most recently in response, Disney has just, has pushed pause on opening some new offices that they were going to open down there, which would have brought, I think, something like 2,000 jobs or something into Florida. You know, so they pushed pause on that. They're not moving into Florida. They're not bringing these jobs. And I, I wonder how long it is before cast members and other local employees start to leave Florida and how long before people who would go consume Disney slow down. So I think there's there's a lot at play here that, you know, speaking to, oh my gosh, jumping into the national conversation, it's like, I can see... I can see lots of ties here that go back to when was it like 10 or 15 years ago when the Hobby Lobby bill passed that essentially granted corporate personhood. Citizens United. Yes. And so now here it is a corporation leveraging the clout of that corporate personhood up against a political figure who has presidential insights and a very interesting base of supporters who really i think more than anything he doesn't like disney and he's kowtowing to i don't know what are we allowed to call them can we call them republican well, we, extremists or well we could, we could we, we'll call him <laughs> we'll call them the base i mean it, it's just it, it's always capital good when you just say with a capital b you make up a great you give us a great point because republicans have always been on the side of corporations they've always been pro-corporations and it seems Mr. DeSantis has decided to take on one of the largest corporations in his state over an ideological uh, an ideological argument here. So, I mean, Disney, of course, has been in in my lifetime. I mean, very milk toast, I would call it. They did just recently come out with a with a movie, The Little Mermaid, live, where the main character was not white, and it, that that seemed to cause an awful lot of stir there. So does does something like that, and I know this is this is going to is going to be an interesting comeback too. Does that support the idea that Disney is how is currently defined being woke? Ah, uh, yes, the the W word. You know, I think so. As you've mentioned, Disney as a whole is is historically milk toast. They do they do definitely toe the line with how they navigate their stories and their representation. And some of it just comes out of the ethos of the the Disney studios. You know, Disney is just turning 100 years old. Walt Disney, you know, goes to California from the Midwest and brings with that a lot of those ideals that are very much a middle America populist perspective. So a lot of that lays the foundation that Disney has built much of its corporation on. I think the the big pivot, though, is that in the last 
Mm, this is 2023. So in the last about, oh, I don't know, 22 years, if you're going to be a large global corporation, you can no longer take a milk toast stance. And I think that's where Disney has been really trying to juggle who it has been versus who it's trying to be, like what face of corporate responsibility it's trying to take. In the zeitgeist of the culture is bubbling up this need for what what the young folks these days is calling woke perspectives. And it's the idea isn't so much that you throw an African-American woman in a movie, you're now woke. It's more like a bigger cultural narrative where you're elevating to the surface all of the people who historically have not had representation. And I think where we're finding some very interesting misalignments in this this concept of woke is that it challenges anybody who's of the dominant paradigm, which in American culture is the white, waspy, middle class, not middle class (laughs) elite. And so we're saying, hey, all these other people exist in the culture, too. And so Disney has been trying to toe this line. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's not like they can just take the last hundred years of all of their work and throw it away. It was, it's been hard enough for them to shut the door on Song of the South. Imagine trying to shut the door on Dumbo or, you know, um, Peter Pan, which have these scenes of representation that definitely are questionable and debatable. Even when they were released, they were questionable and debatable, but they were, I think, given more permission. But now... We don't have that tolerance that I think past America had. And so, you know, but they, isn't, they isn't that isn't that a cultural yeah. shift in many ways? I mean, because oh, yeah. one of the things you you I, I, I see Disney's being being kind of behind the times in some ways. When I was growing up, you would never see a commercial on TV with a mixed race couple or a same sex couple. Mm-mm. You would never see it Mm-mm. in the 21st century. That started to become now the norm. So Disney seems to be following suit in in a way, but in a very, as you say, a very cautious way. They're they're not because they've got this this entire mythology of Disney and what it is that they still have to kind of stay within the in in the guidelines of, and they just can't just as you say throw it away and start from scratch so so that would be really counterproductive on on their part so i guess my question is 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 this a case of where disney is making the transition to better reflect society as it exists today and at the same time as you say there are the elites and it always amazes me that when you see the elites it's usually not the middle class it's usually the economic lower class that are mm-hmm. that gets behind these things. So is this an attempt of that that lower middle class economic group to maintain some concept of being above somebody at least? Everybody wants to be in charge of somebody. Do you see that? Oh yes. Yeah. No, and I think that's exactly right. I think that a lot of this pushback that's happening is really coming from From this perspective of I've never had to think about other people because I'm in this particular intersection of life. And so now you're making me have to think about other people. That hurts, right? That's like brain activity that people don't necessarily want to put their their put themselves behind. But this isn't I think one of the the interesting pieces is this isn't a Disney thing. 
you know, like you said, Disney is a little bit behind the times. But I mean, if you think about the first interracial kiss on television, that was Star Trek. When you think about, you know, some of the the places where we start to see more diversity, it was in sitcoms. You know, it wasn't in it wasn't in Disney. And then in the 90s, when Disney was releasing things like Mulan or Pocahontas or The Hunchback of Notre Dame, where there are very different figures. Even then, they received backlash in the sense that they were still Americanizing and appropriating the stories. They were still misrepresenting. Like, Disney can't win. <laughs> they All they can do is their best. Which, interestingly now, talking to Disney scholars now, are, are they recognize, are there flaws with things like Mulan and Pocahontas? Absolutely, there's flaws. But they're still, like... They, they're still the things that resonate. So it's like the children of the 90s are now the people doing Disney scholarship. And they're like, hey, Pocahontas is my favorite princess. Never mind that she's not technically a princess. Never mind that she's misrepresenting, you know, the indigenous people of the time. Never mind all those details. She's still my favorite princess. It's part of their identity. And I think that's where Disney in particular holds a lot of weight in the water because Disney is such a powerful juggernaut. Everyone who is anybody, whether they like it or not, has Disney on their periphery. And so um, some people like, you know, the the Disney fans or, you know, Disney adults or, you know, however we want to claim them, they've, they've rolled their identity into Disney. And like, this is a, a brand consumer relationship that is very deeply intertwined. So you're attacking Disney in a manner of speaking, you're t- attacking the individual who loves them. And so... That creates this new tension. You've got, like you said, you've got those people who want to maintain this perception of superiority. And you've got the people who are feeling attacked because you're saying you don't like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so how how do we how do we reconcile this in our social dialogue? And that's I think where a lot of the conversations around woke get starts getting thrown in as fueling the fire rather than as actually representing what the concept is. Yeah, yeah. And and Disney is, as you say, from 100 years ago. And their mythos has been created and has been, you know, fostered over the years through many, many generations. And the same could be said about, let's go back to mythology of the past. It is appropriate to the time that it existed, the, the mythology of the Norse, the mythology of the Greeks and the and the Romans, it was appropriate to their time. In our time today, can we argue that it was inappropriate or had elements to it that was probably not politically correct today or socially correct today? Absolutely. Absolutely we can. And Disney's in the same thing, is in really in the same boat as all those mythologies, because even though it's it's not like uh, the the Greek gods or the Norse gods or the Roman gods. Disney is, as you say, a f- part of the fabric of humanity yeah. today. Whether you're in France, whether you're a Russian, whether I don't care where you are, you know Disney, and they've created these stories. And yes, maybe back in the 1950s when they created the movies, yes, very possible they were not thinking in the terms that we think today. So my question really is, should Disney fully embrace this and just, you know, say full speed ahead, damn the torpedoes and and take this on? I know that my former governor, Nikki Haley, has said, hey, come to South Carolina. North Carolina has said the same thing. Hey, come to North Carolina. 
now Disney's not going to tear up shop in Florida and move to, to a different state. But the fact, do you think that they should really take this on and, and use the power? They have a great bully pulpit. They have a fabulous <laughs> bully pulpit. That's a great way to describe describe them. I, I mean, it truly is. I mean, and it's a bully pulpit that the pulpit that speaks to so many that Governor DeSantis just doesn't reach. From my perspective, it looks like he's blind to the bully pulpit, but it could just be that he is selectively not paying attention. And what I what I really think is going to happen is Disney Disney's incredibly strategic. Like it there, if there is any one thing that I, you know, can give the Disney Corporation, it's that they have a really good um, set of lawyers and a really good, like, strategic planning. Like, they they actually can play a long game. Yeah, obviously and, they have better lawyers than the state of South Carolina, or the state of Florida. True story. Well, <laughs> and I think, so what I think Disney's long game is, and that's what it's going to boil down to, is if Disney were to pick up and leave, right? One, that creates a void in Orlando's tourist economy right there. So, so much of Orlando is very heavily, heavily reliant on Disney, that down to like airport infrastructure is because of Disney. So if Disney were to pick up out of Florida, that hurts Orlando. That has a negative impact on Orlando. If Disney picks up out of Florida, the people who live in its little neighboring town celebration are probably not far behind because why would they want to live near a dead theme park that who knows what that's going to become. But I think the other piece to it is that if Disney picks up and leaves, what would stop Universal? What would stop Busch Gardens or SeaWorld? Like all of these other places that exist in that area because of Walt Disney World. They're totally capitalizing on the fact that when people go to Disney, they're going for multiple day trips. So they're like, they really benefit from those, those tourists. So if you take that out, you are creating such an economic void. Disney knows this. DeSantis should know this. But I, that's where I think he's probably putting on some selective blinders because he's throwing out Phrases like Disney needs to pay their taxes. Well, not only do Disney pay taxes, they pay more than their taxes, like what more than they're supposed to, the infrastructure that they've created, and they want to maintain that autonomy. They employ, I don't even know how many thousands of people in their properties, not just at Walt Disney World, but in the affiliated Disney branded areas in the area. Disney I mean, cruises. Disney cruises, you know, who sail out of Florida. So it, it, it's it's going to, ha- it's a much bigger ripple effect that is years in the unraveling. So where it took, you know, Walt Disney, I think the better part of like five years from concept to construction, maybe it's more like six years from concept to construction It'll take more than five years and a lot of economic depression in Florida if Disney were to pull out. And this is where I start to get really concerned with the platform that folks like DeSantis have is who really hurt by that. So DeSantis and his loyal base probably are not going to immediately feel the impacts. But the people who he needs the votes for, the constituents who will get him over the hump, tame the majority and, and get voted in. Those are the people who will be negatively impacted. They're the people who will suddenly be without jobs and possibly without places that they can go get other jobs. Yeah, it, it is, it's, a, it's a constant thing in the United States today. People have a 
general tendency to vote against their own interests. You're right. Those people that do not work at Disney, they, they won't see the impact right then and there. But coming down the road, they will see the impact. So they're they're in many ways voting against their own interests. My next question is, is do you think that this battle which, as you say, this could this could go on for a very, very long time. Do you think that this is going to impact, I don't want to say philosophy or the ideology of Disney, the foundation of what Disney is built upon? Do you do you think that do you think this is a, 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 a an entire mythos changing event? So with that question, we'll believe the answer for our next episode, which will air on Friday, where we will continue our conversation with Dr. Priscilla Hobbs and her take on the DeSantis-Disney conflict going on down in Florida. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the GACIS, an open journal for upcoming scholars, and the Phoenix Research Group, offering solutions to social issues through independent research. We'd also like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet and where you can hear the Nova Society, and of course, Podkite, our analytic partners. We'd also like to thank our listeners and remind you that if you wish to contact us, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com if you have a comment, question, or if you'd like to be a guest on the Nova Society. Always remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for the Nova Society, I'm Dr. Mark Bound, and we hope to see you again next time.